Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, and welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. This is Liz Lenevy, and today I am joined by Amy Gunn, Mary Simon, Elizabeth McNulty, and Megan Crow. And we are going to be discussing how to cross-examine the nice guy or nice gal witness. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot as courtrooms are opening back up, COVID restrictions are being lifted, and cases are actually getting tried. And this specific issue that we're going to focus on today is when you have a nice witness that you are cross-examining, because that is a very different approach than when you have a witness who is more hostile, especially for young attorneys. I think that what often happens is we have this perception of what cross-examination looks like in our mind. And it's typically what we see on television or in movies where there is some sort of big fights, some big breakthrough moment that happens on cross-examination. There's yelling, there's tension, there's slamming the desks, you can't handle the truth type of moment. And that is very rare. One of the things I think that young attorneys, the trap that they fall into is this idea that every cross-examination is going to have that big fight. And so do any of you have your own examples or your own stories about either your own first cross-examination or having seen another cross-examination by another attorney that, that fits this example of you come out of the gate just swinging a little too hard? It was actually my first med mal trial after switching from defense work to plaintiff's work. There were a couple of defendant doctors, they were primary care physicians, the case involved a client who had been given steroid injections for psoriasis and ended up with avascular necrosis in one or both of his hips, requiring hip replacements for a, a pretty young gentleman. And the negligence was continuing to provide the steroid injections for the psoriasis, knowing that in certain situations it can create this situation in hips that deteriorate and require replacement. So we get to trial, and these were a couple, uh, a, a man and a woman, both primary care physicians, very nice folks. It was my first med mal case, and I had very much had the idea that cross-examination, particularly of a defendant, needed to be uh, aggressive. And I approached it in that way. I, I, I never liked to believe that I'm a rude person, but certainly it was aggressive in its manner coming after these doctors, trying to get the, the tone of it was very accusatory. And, you know, they just both remained very nice people on the stand, answering as How much as they? they could. I know, as answering as much as they could. And um, I mean, pushing back occasionally, but got through it, lost the case for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that my client in open court while he was on the witness stand. Now, mind you, the entire damages part of the case was that he'd had hip replacements at a really young age and had disability from his hip replacements. And during the course of the direct examination, I wanted to, the jury to first understand what this psoriasis was and that it was a very serious condition and that he really wanted these steroid shots because that was part of the case is he kept asking for them. So they just said, okay, sure, we'll give them to you. So he 
in the process of trying to show the jury the psoriasis on his legs, jumps up from the witness chair onto the witness box. So those of you that have tried a case or been in a courtroom knows that there literally is like a wooden box within which the witness sits. And he jumps onto the side of the witness box and pulls up his pant leg to show the jury. And all the while has absolutely no idea that he's totally defeating most of his damages case. And I could do nothing but stand there like an idiot. So anyway, but back to the point, which was examining a nice witness. After we lost the case, I was sitting talking to the judge who knew that this was my first MedMal trial um, and one of my first trials ever. And he was a very kind judge and asked if I wanted some constructive criticism. And of course I said, yes. And he said, when you have a witness who is not responding aggressively to your aggressive questions, you might want to back off from your tone and the way you're asking questions because it just makes the jury feel sorry for them. And looking back, I'm sort of embarrassed that I had to learn the lesson that way. But, you know, that's kind of how we all learn through our mistakes and missteps. And so I have not forgotten that and have really tried, I always have an aggressive cross-examination in the sense of it being very to the point, very short, very much leading questions. But what I've learned, the art of your tone and your attitude and your inflection, because you can ask a question, isn't it true, doctor, that blah, 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 versus now, doctor, I'm going to ask you, would you agree with me? Blah, blah, blah. And you're going to get the same answer. But obviously, if this is a nice expert that the jury is really relating to, they're not going to appreciate uh, feeling like this person's being beat up by you. And you can get the same answer without being rude, so to speak. So essentially, aggressive does not equate to effective. That's what I learned. Yes. Right. <laughs> Got it. Is this something I feel like in med mal cases, which our office handles a lot of, is this the norm for you is having to kind of dial it down with uh, the defendant? Because I think that the public in general has a real trust of healthcare professionals and they're seen with high integrity and they're well regarded in the community. So I feel like it could also often be an issue of coming across uh, too aggressive towards a defendant doctor and off-putting the jury. Is this something that like happens more often than not? I'd say yes. You really have to cater your examination, your cross-examination on the reaction of that witness. Most times, I would say close to 100% of the time, you're going to know how that doctor is going to be generally from taking his or her deposition. Are they defensive? Have they been well prepared not to react? Can you bait them? And in the deposition, some, I will try to bait them. I'll, I'll try to see if I could get a response, a rise out of them, because I'm testing whether I can do that at trial. Can I push a button? Can I get a response? Because I would prefer to be a little aggressive in cross-examination. Liz, as you say, juries like that. Juries expect that. I would like to be able to give them that performance but only if it's going to make the defendant look bad, not me. So you have to do your research through taking that deposition and testing it out a little bit, kind of throw out a few 
aggressive questions and see if they take the bait. And if they don't, and you can tell by their demeanor, they're just not going to do it, then you have to file that away and remember that at trial. Yeah, I was actually thinking about using these depositions as kind of a chance to get prepared for what a witness might do on the stand. I am currently dealing with a auto accident case, and the defendant driver was a really nice guy in his deposition, pretty apologetic of the situation, had a very likable personality, and I was trying to make his conduct seem bad, but after a while... I felt like I was kind of almost being a bully. And I guess I've been trying to figure out how to use my knowledge of his demeanor and personality from his deposition and best prepare for a trial if it goes. Something else that I've found in depositions specifically is if you have a witness who they haven't taken the bait on a couple of things, maybe changing up the tactic and going very nice, very respectful, like you genuinely care whatever their opinions are, even though you're really just there to find out what they're going to say at trial. Um, Sometimes if you can get a witness to trust you in that manner because you are being so deferential, they may end up slipping and saying some things that maybe they weren't prepared to say or they're they're saying, well, you know, this attorney's trying to be fair with me. I'll try to be fair with the attorney. I had that happen recently in a deposition where I was trying to be really nice to this particular expert witness. I said, you know, doctor, I just want to call balls and strikes here. Can you tell me this? What do you think about this? And and he would go on with very long answers. And he let loose a couple of little snippets here and there, just what I consider like just little nuggets that I knew I was going to be able to pull out at trial. And when I go back and I just confirm, you know, you, you said this, right? I mean, this this was your testimony, right? And he was like, oh, Oh, yeah. And you could see on his face, I think he realized that maybe he shouldn't have have let that slip. But if you go into a deposition just hostile the entire time and it's not working, maybe changing it up just so you can get that good cross-examination testimony to use at trial, that, that can be a tactic as well. But I agree with everything that's been said so far. And I think that's something that's really important to remember if you are cross-examining someone for the first time or the 10th time or 100th time, whatever it is, is that it's important to match the witness's energy. I sort of look at it in the same way that my dad told me how to handle fights in school, which is you never take the first swing. If someone else takes the first swing, you can end it after that, but never take the first swing. So Mary, you've got a trial coming up. Can you think of any examples that you have seen of effective cross-examination, effective baiting, or maybe the opposite of ineffective cross-examination. Yes. And there are two things that I was thinking of when this discussion began. One is it swings both ways. So when I have a client, a lot of times during our client's depositions, the best thing that can happen for us is a lawyer comes out on the other side and is way overly aggressive. And our client is just the kindest you know, soft-spoken person because it plays out the, you know, door swings both ways. If the other side's doing what they probably shouldn't be doing with our client during a deposition or in cross-examination, the jury will pick that up just in the same way that they will if we're doing it. So I have seen before in a couple of cases I've worked on, there were two attorneys on the other side of the case. My client was incredibly nervous to give her deposition And I had spent a ton of time with her, did a lot of prep, and I didn't know 
which of the two lawyers was going to come take her deposition. So I prepared her for both situations because one of the lawyers tended to be a lot more aggressive than the other. And the firm or one of these two lawyers decided to send the kinder, you know, more relatable, soft-spoken attorney. And I just thought it was a genius move on their part. I really was thankful for, you know, my client because she was just incredibly nervous to go through the process and she did great. But it, you can just tell it's strategic on their end because she did end up saying quite a bit of stuff during her deposition because it's a combination of nerves. And this other attorney, she came off so honest, so trusting, had the exact tone that she needed to have to get my client almost too comfortable at some points, you know, but you can see it play out. It's almost it's like magic happens between like someone's testimony can be completely different depending on who's asking the questions. And it, the door swings both ways in cases. The other aspect of this discussion that I think is significant is that we are talking about things that have nothing to do with, you know, the the substance of our questions. It goes to show how every single aspect of what we're doing and working up a case matters. It doesn't just matter that we know the medical records. It doesn't just matter that we've read the trucking company's policies and procedures. And it doesn't just matter that we have our outline put together and we have the case file memorized. Execution is just as important as having the knowledge to ask the question. So when we are talking about deposition testimony or cross-examinations at trial, the reason it's so important is that a juror or a group of random strangers who are watching us put on our case, the entire jury could not hear or remember anything that you're asking in the trial, but they will remember the fact that you were way too aggressive with a really kind witness. Alternatively, they will remember that the witness was insane and crazy and rude to the lawyer and that the lawyer kept his or her cool, was a really nice, kind professional. It's another aspect of our job that is not just study your materials, be prepared, know the law, know the cases, know your case file. But it's also you have this whole other piece of your brain that has to be ready to execute in an artful way. So a third person, a stranger who's never met you before, has never met the witness before, knows nothing about what's going on, is just going to come out at the end liking you more than they like the witness who you're asking questions of. And that's the more we talk about it. And for our listeners who are lawyers and non-lawyers, it's significant because it shows that there's such a human aspect to our profession. It's not just briefs and you know, written materials and legal statutes that we have to talk about back and forth. It's There's a big human element of it that is on our mind constantly in these cases. I think that's also goes to the importance of not having your questions written out necessarily, but maybe having more of a bullet point. Because how you ask the question is going to depend on how the witness is answering all of the previous questions. And so I'm thinking of, this wasn't an actual trial, it was a mock trial a couple years ago where I was a judge. And it was law students. I, and I don't remember where these particular law students were from. I know they were not from St. Louis. They had traveled into town to participate in this mock trial. And in law school mock trial, I don't know if there's any 
college students listening, but in law school mock trial, you don't bring your own witness. You don't bring a witness prepared from your team. The law school or whoever's hosting is supposed to supply witnesses. And sometimes that means that they're really scrambling to find people at the last minute. But in this particular case, from what I can remember, it was a mock criminal case, federal criminal case. And there was, I think that the defendant was accused of fraud or something. And the only defendant witness that the law school could find at the time was unfortunately for, I think, this particular student was an international student. English was not her first language. She was clearly struggling with the language, but she was doing her best. And she was playing the defendant and trying to verbalize pretty complicated material as a witness. And the student who was playing the AUSA just came at her hard from the beginning, just out of nowhere. I, I was taken aback at how aggressive she was, but it was clear to me, too, that she had practiced this cross-examination, and that she already had all of the questions and exactly how she wanted to ask them, exactly the tone she wanted to ask them prepared in her mind. But she just came at her so hard and it just made everyone in the courtroom so uncomfortable. And she never changed her tone. She never backed off. And I think it's because she had over-prepared herself to do it this particular way. And so once we were done, the comments I gave her were, you know, that was really aggressive. I think that was really off-putting. I felt bad for the defendant. I felt bad for her because you were really mean to her and she was doing her best. And I kind of forgot that she was supposed to be this criminal defendant, this this big criminal mastermind. Right, you don't even remember the the substance of the questions. No. <laughs> All I remember was how that attorney made me feel and how it must have made the witness feel. Even though that happened a couple years ago, I, I still think about that when I am getting ready to cross-examine a witness of if this person is a nice person, I need to also be nice. Otherwise, there could be someone on the jury thinking, why is this attorney such a bully? And I think it's important to remember that power dynamic as well. So, Elizabeth, do you have any examples of what you thought was ineffective or effective cross-examination based on the witness's tone or the attorney's tone? Well, I've been defending a lot of our experts' depositions here recently and some clients. And, you know, when we talk to our experts beforehand, you know, we're always kind of give them how the rundown of how we think the other lawyers might act, but also like remind them like, you know, it's really important to be as polite as possible. Some experts aren't going to listen to that at all, but kind of getting that down, how important that is to the case overall. So usually our experts are, you know, respectful and, you know, nice, but defending their opinions. But here lately, I have seen a lot of lawyers on the other side of the case come out just like swinging really hot with some really like benign subject matter questions and it's not even just aggressive it's just it's disrespectful and I don't really understand it it kind of tinges the whole deposition and it doesn't really work I don't find it to be very effective and I just don't really understand it. I think that it happens when you're too close to a case and you start to take things a little bit too personally. And I think something that you were just saying about how, you know, you need to be able to ascertain how the witness is going to be. Sometimes you need to, before trial, 
kind of step back from the whole case and think about how a person who doesn't know anything about any of the facts of the case is going to be able to, you know, relate to all of the key witnesses in the case and let that kind of guide how you're going to cross-examine some of these people. You need to be respectful to the witnesses until they give you a reason not to be. And I I don't really understand why that isn't like a guiding principle in this because it's been happening with some really um, experienced lawyers on the other side. So I don't think that this is a mistake that just young lawyers make. I think that maybe some people get too um, arrogant and think that it's a way a lawyer needs to be. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. But one thing, and maybe we'll get to this later, and I hate that it's something that we even have to talk about, but it's the difference in being an aggressive cross-examiner, the difference in how men do it and then how women do that and how it's perceived. So I'm curious what the group thinks on that. Yeah, let's talk about it now. Thoughts? (laughs) I have always been told to be careful with a female witness as a female attorney because it, we may have talked about this at some point before, but it can be perceived as a catfight, you know, to women just arguing about stuff It's not fair, and it never occurred to me until somebody pointed it out to me. So I haven't 100% subscribed to that because, Elizabeth, as you mentioned, starting out just being respectful with any witness, I think, is the best rule of thumb. And I've always said I'm nice until I'm provoked, and whether I'm provoked by a, a man or a woman, it's hard for me to pivot my response Um, just based on that fact alone. But I do keep it in mind. And if I have a female that I have to cross-examine, particularly like an expert or the defendant, I do keep that in mind. And I try really extra hard to not have a sharper tone or a higher voice. I try to pace myself with my questions being very, I don't want to say monotone because that's not really what anything anybody wants. No one wants that at trial. But to be slow and just precise with my questions as opposed to a little bit high strung. But I think it's something to keep in mind. I don't know that men think about this at all. Maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. But I have had some anecdotal evidence over the years that it's a little tougher as a female trial attorney to cross-examine a female witness. Anybody else had that issue? This is something that certainly I think is always in the back of our minds is how we're being perceived. And that's not just with female witnesses. I think that's also with with any witnesses. We are conditioned to be much more cognizant if we are coming off and pardon my French, bitchy. Right. And that's not something men really have to think about. So they can get away with being a little louder, a little more shouty, a little more theatrical. But it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I had that trial that I was preparing for with another attorney in our office, Tony, who is a man. And when we were divvying up the witnesses, we kind of stopped and looked. And I realized I had taken all the male witnesses yeah. and he had taken all the female witnesses. And I was like, I don't know if we intentionally did that or how that worked out. Maybe it was a subconscious, I don't want to have to worry about the the. Right. possibility of a cat fight. Just avoid it. And I'll let I'll let Tony handle 
all of these female witnesses and then I'll handle all the male witnesses because then if a male witness starts getting really aggressive with me, well, now it looks like a, a man right. yelling at a lady. And yeah. that's not nice. A that's not lady. gentlemanly. Right. <laughs> I agree with what you were talking about in terms of having it be a little bit more difficult female attorney, female witness. One of the reasons I think it's difficult is because, especially with this group of women and probably with any female attorney who listens to this podcast, women empower women. We love empowering women. This is a group of women who look at any other female professional and just want to lift them up. And in the cases, and I say female professional because most of our cases, there's, you know, a, a female doctor on the other side of the case or a female CEO on the other side of the case who we are taking uh, her deposition. So in one regard, I just, it's a, it's a nuanced position to be in because you want to show that uh, the female deponent has done something really wrong. And on the other hand, they're a fellow female professional, even if they're not an attorney, that you just wish you could also, you could probably hang out with them if it wasn't in the context of a lawsuit, but that's the context that you're working within. So I think in one hand, that's a little bit difficult. And the example that I'll give is I deposed the defendant doctor in a birth injury case and I was pregnant. She had a new baby at home. There were just a lot of similarities between she and I. And at one point during the deposition, I, she was kind of trying to wiggle out some uh, some of my questions. And on the record, she laughed. She gave kind of a sarcastic answer to a very serious question. And she laughed. That caused both defense attorneys to laugh. There were two defense attorneys on the depo. And I paused for a second. And for a split second, I was so tempted to just say, do you think this is funny? Or why are you laughing? Or for the record, the lawyers are laughing and she, the witness is laughing. And I, and I didn't do it and I didn't say anything. And I still even think about it today because I'm thinking about my client in that moment. And I, you know, how dare her start laughing with such a serious matter. But I was afraid that if I opened my mouth to ask that it would turn into what's perceived as a cat fight or me being bitchy or getting too emotional about it. So I just you know, took a deep breath, moved on to a series of really quick yes or no questions that I knew would just bury the issue that I needed to ask her about and felt comfortable in that and moved on. I might have said something if it would have been a male witness. I might have felt a little bit more comfortable to push more. So I have experienced that a little bit with a female uh, defendant in a case. And as far as that line that women walk have to walk in profession about not coming off too bitchy or too assertive or whatever. I, I'd be surprised if men thought about having to deal with that issue. I think we have talked about that before in the podcast, but it's always timely. If I'm deposing a very difficult male um, witness, expert witness, for example, if I'm being as respectful as I can and he's being really difficult in answering a very direct question. And I'll make the question so succinct, like as simple as I possibly can. In one deposition, I just sat back, put my pen down and went, come on now. Like, come on. We're not following a script here. You're a person. I'm a person. Come on now. And I've said that before to a doctor to just move along the deposition. And it kind of just puts a break in the tension, I guess. Um, that's worked for me before. And I do it in a way where I'm not being rude or I'm trying not to come off um, bitchy, but it's 
it's just at a certain point, if they're being so unreasonable and what you really want to do is like scream at them and say, just answer the question. You need to answer it. You're here to answer it. Instead of kind of going off on them, I'll, I'll step back and in a sigh, come on now, doctor. I know there's some stuff that we both agree on. I'm just trying to figure it out and, and then go into the questions. And it kind of gets us back on track a little bit of where we need to be. I love your approach to it. And it makes me think of my parents again because I knew that the times I felt worse about when I was behaving badly as a child was when my parents, they didn't yell. They didn't, you know, there was, there was no big burst of anger. It was a sigh. And they said, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Like, that's, <laughs> right. just, that's just a knife to the heart when you feel right. your parents are disappointed. And I think that that tone and that attitude works well in depositions of, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, I'm not mad at you that, that we're here at hour four and you still aren't answering my questions. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, I just, <laughs> come on. I think that could be part of an advantage of being a female attorney, a trial attorney, Many people, I think, perceive us women as the moms, the teachers, the the whatevers. And sometimes you just have to be in control. But we can do that in a very assertive, not aggressive way. So, Mary, your story about, come on, man, I do that a lot in a deposition where I'm not getting the answers that I want. They can be very nice while still not answering your question. So this is true whether it's in trial or in a deposition, you do have to take control of even the nice witness. So there are a couple of techniques for that that I've utilized. Sometimes you ask the judge for help because the jury sees you kind of struggling, everybody's trying to be nice, witness is not answering the question, and I will let that go a little bit. And then sometimes I'll ask the judge, judge, would you help instruct this witness to answer the question that I'm asked? That is go, kind of going straight to nuclear option because if the judge now is in a position where he or she has to say, you know, please answer the question. That's why you have to kind of let it go on for a while before the judge is going to have buy-in to that. Otherwise, it just looks like you're going straight to dad without any real good reason. Um, the other thing is kind of marry what you said in that deposition where you chose not to make a big deal out of it. If they're not answering your question, I will say, you know, Dr. Jones or Ms. Jones or whoever it is, I'm really just trying to get questions answered for this jury. And I'll gesture toward the jury and have some buy-in because they're tired of it, too. They know exactly what's going on. And you shame them a little bit into just answering your question, or at least you bring it to their attention that this is not a game. We're not in a deposition. You can't get away with just talking on the record with no consequence. There are people listening. And then sometimes I will gesture to my client and say, I'm here representing you know, my client to get answers to questions that I'm asking you. And, and look, all I'm really asking you to do is answer them. And I think as a woman, we can get away with that as long as we ask it in a very authoritative but not aggressive way. Because you kind of, like I said, you kind of put on your teacher hat or your mom hat or whatever authority hat that you can wear. I have found that to be incredibly effective. I think there's a flip side of the coin and that's 
uh, women are often more quick to trust other women. And so I think you can a lot of times use it to your advantage. Um, I know on a lot of my cases, I work with a male attorney and for better or for worse, we kind of strategize based on both of our different demeanors and genders, who's going to be better for this witness. And um, we do actually use that as a consideration um, in divvying up work. And sometimes it's this witness as a woman might be a little bit more open, trusting with you. You might be able to get information better than I will with her. Sometimes it's it's the opposite way. I know, Liz, you kind of mentioned an old grouchy man being mean to a young female attorney might look bad. It's another consideration that we've made is uh, you can get to these questions with him. He's not going to be mean to you. And if he does, he just looks bad. So it's kind of a win-win. Even though there's the potential for it to become a catfight, for lack of a better term, situation, I think there's also a consideration that uh, you might be able to have an advantage by establishing rapport. One aspect of cross-examining or deposing the nice witness is also bringing that information back to our clients. That might even be a whole other conversation we can have, but it's interesting to explain to the client how significant that is and how all we're thinking about at the end of the day is how a jury will think of you or the witness. And our clients don't often understand that on the other side of the case, when there's a corporate representative who sits down, it's just going to be another guy or another girl in front of a jury. It's just another person. So even though on the other side of our cases, there's companies or hospitals explaining to our client after a corporate rep deposition has been taken or an expert on the other side has been taken, calling the client to say, you know, they were really nice. I think a jury will really like them. It's significant to to bring that information to them so they have a better understanding of how the trial will play out just to give them more information that they have to be prepared and, and know that it's something that we're thinking about in the same way the other side's thinking about them as a whether they come off as a really nice witness or not. I like your point, Mary, and it makes me think of the last trial that I was in. There was one defense expert who was just probably the cockiest person I have ever seen. It was so weird. He was a radiology expert. I won't say from where, but he went up there and it was very clear even during his direct, while he, I thought, was impressive in the show on the direct, it was very clear that you could get under his skin. And John did the cross-examination of him. And he was one of the first defense experts to be cross-examined in the case for the for the defense side. And it took about three questions. And John did the thing of, of don't take the first swing, but the expert immediately took the bait and just fell apart. And it was a very aggressive cross-examination once the bait was taken. And I mean, it, it, it was incredible to watch. I, I think I texted you, Mary, and I made some joke about, you know, it's a good thing we're at a courthouse because I just witnessed a murder. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but afterwards, the clients were over the moon. They they thought that that was incredible. And, you know, and of, of course, it is it is a credit to how good of attorneys we are here. And but I remember talking to one of the clients and saying, but don't expect that with every witness. Not every witness is going to fall apart like that. In fact, that's that's actually kind of rare to see something frankly, that cringeworthy. I almost felt bad for the guy. Almost. Is, it's hard in the moment to know. I mean, you can 
feel like you're making some points, but it's really kind of hard to judge entirely. And I will oftentimes try to get a glance at the jury to see if they're kind of on the edge of the seat or rolled back, cringing at my next question, just to get a feel for whether they're reacting more to my questions or more to the answers to understand whether the tone is still appropriate because it can change on a dime. You can go in nice and expect the nice witness to remain nice, but there are so many things going on that moment in that day. If it is the defendant, this is serious business for this person on the stand under oath. For us, just our job, serious, important job. And for them, though, it could mean so many things, their reputation, whether we're going to bust through their insurance policy, whether they're going to lose their job. I mean, who knows what it can mean for that person? And the emotion of that can't be missed. So when you're doing your examination in, in a deposition, it, again, much more structured, much less formal, prepared. They can take a break whenever they want to. This is literally the hot seat. And you can't underestimate everything that that witness is feeling in that moment. So again, I always have the same questions, whether it's a nice witness or a mean witness or an aggressive or an arrogant. I've got the same questions and I want to make the same points. I want the same admissions. And it's really the way you ask them and also how you're reacting to the answer. If I have a, quote, nice witness, and I only mean that they're actually answering the question and not being rude to me, but sometimes they're asking, answering the question the way they want to, I will let my head drop. You know, like, I'm defeated by this. And then kind of glance at the jury like, aren't you all too? Like, aren't you tired of this? But back to the emotion of that witness they could be really unstable in that moment. And you may not even intend to trigger them, but it could be a trigger and you have to be ready to pivot from your nice, non-aggressive questions to a more strict tone about them. But how you ask them, that's the art of it. And there are two methods that I I believe are effective with a nice witness in a courtroom. Sometimes there's the nice witness who just straight up answers your question. When that's happening, you don't want to be making aggressive faces at the witness or, you know, nodding to the jury with your head with confidence when the witness like, is, right. you know, you've yeah, asked the you question, did. you really want them to say yes, and they just go, uh-huh. You don't want to go, yeah, you said yes. Isn't that right? <laughs> I mean, that's, you don't need to do that. They've already answered the question. The jury heard them answer it. You don't need to turn around to the jury like you just did a slam dunk and they, <laughs> waiting for they, your applause. Exactly. They already know what happened. So uh, it's effective to just move on. You don't have to confirm a yes when the answer that you want is yes and they've said yes. Don't keep confirming it when they're nicely, politely sitting there answering your question. And on the flip side of that, you can have really nice witnesses who go on and on right. and on and on, but they're so nice. You don't want to cut them off. You want to give them the floor. And a method that's effective is to just stop paying attention to them, even though you're still listening because you're at the trial. But you can kind of go look, flip through your notes, walk back to the table, 
kind of look around, you know, because it's Check signaling. Check your watch. Yeah, because yeah. you're, you're not being rude. You're letting them talk. They're nice. You don't want to cut them off. But you are able to, through your own body language and through your expression, which, again, is not. It's matching their tone. It's calm. You're just going over to look at your notes or looking at the time. The jury knows they're they're gone. The, the answer, whatever they're saying, is just so beyond what you've asked or they're avoiding it, even though they're being nice, that the way that you're physically responding to them, Amy, to your point, to just kind of eye the jury, that's something else that you can do when someone's really nice without saying, excuse me, uh, uh, and cutting them off because that will come off rude. Instead, you can just use body language or your expression to let the jury know, oh, this is Real fluffy. Yeah, we're annoyed together, aren't we, jury? Right. We're all annoyed with this person. Yep. I do that sometimes, too, where if a witness has just gone on and on and on, even though I've asked a very pointed question, once they are done with whatever monologue they have planned, I say, okay, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. But but going back to my question, it's it's really simple. And you almost make it sound, you dumb it down. To the point that the jury is thinking, this is such an easy question. Just answer yes or no so that when they dodge it again, now they look evasive. No matter how nice they are, they look like they're being dishonest. So if you can keep yourself calm and take and basically keep control of the situation, that adds rapport for you with the jury. But also, again, it, it starts to strike at the credibility of the witness. But like you said, Mary, and, and what you've mentioned, Amy, body language and tone and facial expressions, that's something I have, I really struggle with is, is keeping control of my facial expressions. I, I've had to work on that. Um, but all of that is important. And all of that, the, you may not realize it, but the jury is paying attention to that information. They're not just listening to the questions. They're watching you and they're watching the witness as well. Well, ladies, this has been a great discussion. Thank you all so much. And to our listeners, if you have any questions or stories or comments, please send them into us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And remember, new episodes of Heels in the Courtroom drop every Wednesday, and we will see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today. 